1: Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
2: Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. We're going to be talking about a topic that might create a little bit of controversy today because I'm going to make a stand here today that might be different from what you've been hearing. Uh, As you listen and walk through your own personal growth and development as a spiritual being. Uh, The truth is we can't read anything written by new age or new thought people that doesn't address the word ego. Ego is thought by so many teachers, even master teachers, to be the enemy. It's the part of us that wants us to fail, that wants us to be unloving or unkind or inconsiderate or to be afraid and to live inauthentically. In that way. That old ego sounds a whole lot like that devil, that old Beelzebub, Iblis, Shaitan, the dragon, the serpent, Abaddon, Belial, the father of this world, the god of all lies, Lucifer, and other such names. This idea of the ego has us believing that we must fight against it. Now, if you talk to some people about that idea, they'll tell you that they don't really mean that we should fight against it, but... When we say that the ego is, the, is, is trying to get us to do bad things, we're going to naturally try to fight against it. And I even got an email today from somebody who said, oh, good, I'm going to listen to your show. I want to know how to get rid of the ego. <laughs> That's not what we're going to be talking about today. Surely the divine doesn't need to fight, right? What if we have misunderstood this whole concept of ego? What if the ego isn't what we think it is? What if it's something else entirely? maybe then fighting it might not be such a good idea. And maybe calling it the enemy might not be such a good idea, even if we don't think we should fight it. So is it possible that this view of the ego is just another dualistic stance serving only to keep us unaware of our true nature? Well, that's what we're going to find out today. Okay, so everything you hear today is going to be my opinion. You don't have to agree with me. You may find uh, a great fault in what I'm saying. As a matter of fact, I I put... uh, a discussion onto LinkedIn, and it was really interesting how many comments I got on this very topic. With many people going, "Yeah, finally somebody's saying this," and other people going, "No, what are you doing? You can't say that. You must be, uh, you know, evil too." So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's a difficult topic to talk about because our, uh, one of our first introductions to the notion of ego, at least in modern day, uh, there were some back in the 20s as well with uh, other great. Um, new thought people such as, uh, Emerson and, and Blavatsky and others like that, um, use the word ego now and then to sort of address what it is to, to be in this world, but not of this world, so to speak. But, uh, more in the modern day, the Course in Miracles has been our, our first real, um, definition of ego. And why that Course of Miracles used that particular word? I don't know. You know, for lack of a better one, I guess I don't know. Who knows why? Um, and some people would say I'm just terrible for even questioning that because that was written through um, uh, Schuckman and that that for instead of being you know just it wasn't just them writing. Well, that may well be. I I, I can't dispute that. I couldn't say yeah or nay to that. But I will say that the ego when we start thinking about how we're going to get rid of it, well, that's a pretty dangerous concept. And I'm going to tell you why. Mental health, all right? I'm, I'm a mental health practitioner and have been for 30 years now. And what I've come to understand over, the, over time is not only based on my training, but also based on what I've experienced and what I've learned and called and put together and gathered and coalesced, as we all do as we move forward in our careers. And what I've come to understand is that the ego is a vital part of, of who we are uh, we have an inner being uh, an essential core being which, which I call the authentic self we also have an identity many of us have an identity that isn't the authentic self but is activated and operates as if it is all there is of us um, and that, that identity is something we may have to eventually uh, put to rest but uh, but uh, the other part of us is external. The other, what we do in our lives is external. We drive our cars, we go to our jobs, we talk to people, we interact with people, we feel emotions about people. And so there's an inner and an external uh, dance that's going on all the time in our lives. We're dancing with the external from the internal, hopefully. Or we're dancing from the exter- with the external from some kind of externalized identity um, that isn't internal although it's been internalized so so we we you know we have that potential to either dance from the real or dance from something that's not so real but how do we know what's inside of us and what's outside of us how do we distinguish between those two that's what the ego's for the ego is that liaison that helps us define what's internal and what's external and put up appropriate boundaries so that the external stays external and the internal stays internal. Um, you know, if I, if I believe that the world is everything I think it is, then I might be in some serious trouble <laughs> because, you know, I might think somebody's evil who's really not, or I might think that, um, you know, coming from my own dysfunctional, perceptions of the world I might think that the world is supposed to make me wealthy yesterday and it hasn't and so life sucks and then you die um, you, that you see how that can get really distorted if I'm not really aware that the world the outside world is doing what it's doing and I have no control over it and my imagination can't make that change magical thinking is what happens with a child a child says uh, or I'm gonna um, tell the story of a child. Let's say his name is Joe. Okay, so little Joey is, uh, is growing up in a home that's a lot, there's a lot of dysfunction in his home and there's alcoholism and uh, maybe father hits mother sometimes and, and, and there's a lot of stress and he's got little brothers and sisters that he worries about as well. And well, you know, he's only four years old and he doesn't know what to do. So he just sort of, blanks all that out and at night before he goes to bed he invents a monster in his head and mom and dad have to come in together that's the ritual they have to come in together and they have to get rid of this monster out of the closet and if they don't then he lays there in terror all night long well what's really going on is that he's projected all of his fears about what's going on in his family onto this big monster that he's imagined and when they sweep it out of the closet well it's just gone and now we don't have to worry about that at least not until tomorrow night so what's happening there is what what we call magical thinking. He's made c- dots to connect with reality that aren't really there. And there is no real monster, but except the one in his own home. And that one is real, but he doesn't want to see that one, so he sees this other one. We all do that in all kinds of ways. And that means that our ego isn't working like it needs to work. What the ego is supposed to do is sort out the defined distinctions between what is external and what is internal if the child wasn't so terrified he might be able to say oh dad's a drunk and he's hit mom again and maybe I should tell my daycare teacher or somebody about it you know that that kid has good ego strength the kid who can do that has good ego strength because he's going that's outside of me not inside of me and all I can do is tell somebody I can't magically think it away But if I don't have good ego strength, I might try to say that what I imagine inside of me is actually outside of me. You see the difference? So we want, in the mental health world, we want people to develop good ego, good solid ego strength. We want them to have a fine distinguishing line between what's external and what's internal. When they don't, sometimes people become schizophrenic. Sometimes they um, develop delusions and hallucinations. Sometimes they become extremely grandiose and think that they run the world. Uh, You see how the internal can throw itself out there in the external and try to make that happen in the external world. Um, and sometimes the external can come into the internal in ways such as uh, a mother can tell a child that she's worthless or he, he's worthless, and the child begins to believe that, yes, indeed, I'm worthless, and they identify with that, and they make that their identity. I'm just a worthless person, and they act that out if it's, as if it's true. So now what they've done is take the external and put it on the internal. So that liaison there is weak. If a child can say, you know, she said I'm worthless, and that was a really harsh and terrible thing for her to say, and I really wish she hadn't said that. It really breaks my heart. But you know what? I'm not worthless. I'm not worthless at all. And so that child has good ego strength. And uh, when I have worked with children in the past, it has been interesting to see which children are able to sort out the distinctions and which children are not. And I can't say for sure I can say why that is, but it is interesting to see that some children have that capacity to go, "Yeah, my father sexually abused me, but he was wrong." and another child might go, "Yeah, my father sexually abused me, and it's all my fault." That's her take, her, her or him taking the external and putting it in the internal. So the ego is vital, it's essential, it's necessary. Now, you might say we're talking semantics if we say, well, there is a part of us that maybe one day we might have to forego in favor of something else. But what I will say is that the identity, the mask and costume that we put on, it's really good. It's a really good thing because it helps us survive when we might not otherwise be able to do so. So, for example, a child grows up in a home where like little Joey, he has younger siblings, and the father's an alcoholic, and the mother's getting beat up. And, well, little Joey has to put on the mask of, costume of mask and costume of Superman. And he has to start taking care of the younger siblings, and he has to, you know, uh, stand up for his mother whenever dad's around, or maybe even hide his mother from dad sometimes when dad's drunk. Or, or you know, at some point in his life, he may have to beat dad up, so dad will stop doing it. Uh, this is a Superman complex, and, and it's an identity. And while he may not actually wear a cape and, and don an S, he's, he's actually living well beyond his years, well beyond his natural strength. Why? Because he's, he's found some inner capacity to, to really pull that strength out of himself and say, I'll handle this. I'll just handle it. I have to, so I will. And we do have that capacity, and that's authentic. But if I wear it as a mask and costume and so that then after that, after I've grown up, I, can, I cannot receive help from other people, I don't trust anybody else to be able to do it right, or I, I've got to do it all if it's going to be done right, or I've got to you know, handle all of life's problems on my own and nobody should ever have to help me, then that's not working anymore. So you see, I can get over-identified with my coping mechanism And carry it with me into adulthood. And many, many of us do that. And as we do that, what we're doing is denying our own authenticity, its full range, its full capacity to potentiate our real lives. So what we really want to do is, is be able to find and begin to live from the authentic self. And as we do that, the old identity goes away. It's no longer necessary. But it was only a mask and costume in the first place. It was never real. So it's okay if it goes away. The ego, on the other hand, is real, and we don't want it to go away. If we, if it goes away, we're in trouble. We can't sort out the distinction between the external and the internal, and that's a problem. So, okay. So what's happened? <clears throat> excuse me. What's happened now is that the the ego has been sort of labeled as the enemy. It's it's the one that makes us think bad things, and it makes us afraid, and it makes us. Um, not be so kind and considerate to other people, and so it makes us angry. And it, you know, and so I, I read this all the time from people sending me messages, and I hear it from my clients, and I hear it from um, my readers that that uh, I've just got to make my ego stop doing what it's doing. And in that process, what's happening is I'm telling myself to be somebody that I cannot possibly be. Uh, I'm telling myself to shut off my own emotions and and pretend that they're not there in favor of this ideal image of myself that people call the higher self. So the higher self is uh, the ego's enemy. The ego wants to fight against the higher self. No, if we split ourselves off that way, we're not doing anything different than the old traditional Christian religion taught us to do, which was to split ourselves off between good and evil, between God and Satan. That's not any different. We're doing the same thing, just calling it different names. What if that's that's not the right pathway? What if we've gotten so much into the dualistic mindset, the mindset that says there's a good and there's an evil, and we don't know how to do anything but that, and we can't uh, uh, we can't move beyond the, that living and striving after goodness in the name of, of of some kind of higher self. So we're going to talk about that battle between the ego and the higher self right after the break. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this show. It might be life-changing.
0: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel Be extraordinary. Be the change.
1: You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll free 1 866 472 5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
2: And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, dedicated to expanding science beyond conventional paradigms. Founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgar Mitchell Ions is a nonprofit research, education, and membership organization whose mission is supporting individual and collective transformation through consciousness research, educational outreach, and engaging in the global learning community and the realization of human potential. You can join that learning community at www.noetic.org. Okay, so we said just before the break that we were going to talk about the distinctions between the ego and the higher self, the so-called higher self, so-called ego and the so-called higher self. Uh, and we said before, uh, we said this show is going to be really different from what you expect it to be. It is not saying that we should get rid of ego or that ego is the problem. Ego is not the problem. Um in fact, there isn't a problem that cannot be solved by the divine self within us. Uh, what the, the only problem is duality, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But from that dualistic, hypnotic trance state that we all are in, we have come up with notions that matched exactly by, by um, their essence. The same exact paradigms that we saw in the old traditional motif of God and Satan or good and evil. So we got the ego, which is evil bad, it's telling us to do the wrong thing, it's afraid, it's angry, it's inconsiderate, it's just bad. And then we have this good self, which is the higher self. Now, the higher self, when I ask people to define that for me, what they say is that the higher self, well, that's the part of me that does everything right. That's the part of me that's always, there's the key word, always loving, uh, always considerate, doesn't get angry, is not afraid uh lives in that love paradigm that says that no matter what somebody does I should not confront them I should only just you know let it go and and let it wash off of me like water off a duck's back and just just be in peace at all times that is the that's the higher self that's the image i get from most people that this is a really perfect part of me it's it's the part of me that's perfect it does not make any stupid mistakes, and it does not do anything to harm self or others, or and it does not even feel what we call so-called negative emotions. So that's another thing that goes into that slush pile with ego is negative thoughts and negative emotions. And then, of course, we've got positive thoughts and positive emotions, and those go with the higher self. So we've, so we've split everything off into those things, bad, good. And that's the way it's been since the beginning of time when uh, we've heard me talk about this a couple of different times, we're going to say it again now. In the beginning, (laughs) when the divine created heaven and earth, everything was null and void. There was nothing. There was no form. There was nothing that was form. No matter existed. Uh, But everything was spirit. And then the divine decided to create form. And in the process, he, 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 she, it, the divine created a, um, a garden, a place, a psychological place, a spiritual place uh, in the spirit of man before creating the man's body where man and woman would live. And that spiritual place had in it two trees or two as according, uh, according to the metaphysical dictionary uh, um, said it were two thoughts, two different thoughts two possible thoughts we could think. One was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The other was the tree of knowledge, uh, the tree of life, excuse me. And the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, according to the old traditional paradigm, was going to tell us how bad we were. But according to the root language that we read when we really study that, those, uh, those stories, what it really was was a thought of duality. It was a thought that said things could be split off into good and evil uh, so that the divine would be considered good and man would be considered bad. And And we could not attain to the divine because we were bad, inherently bad people. And so the divine was inherently good, we were inherently bad, and therefore there was no connection between us. We were separate. But the truth was always still there that we... Within us was this Garden of Eden, and the Garden of Eden contained both, both thoughts, meaning we had a choice between which one we were going to think, not which one was actually true, but which one we were going to think. We could think in terms of life. We could think in terms of good and evil. And when we're thinking in terms of life, we're not thinking in terms of good and evil. So what that does is if you think about it that way, it totally destroys this idea that there should be a higher self and a lower self and an ego and a higher self and a positive thought or a negative thought if everything is life there is no good and evil okay I'm going to say that again if everything is life there is no good and evil so people say well if you say there's no good and evil then that means there's no good, no evil but there's just good no there's no good either (laughs) we have defined those terms Those terms are all about how we think. And why do we think that way? Because in the very beginning, we chose the thought of good and evil, of knowledge of good and evil. And in the process, what's supposed to be happening here is we're supposed to really experiment with that thought and really finally end it, put it to rest forever and ever. Amen. So that we begin to really understand that ultimately the truth is, even though we've been thinking all this time that there was good and evil, there is no good and evil. There's only life. And that, that's how it was before matter was created. Why would it be any different once matter is created? And what's supposed to happen as a result of that is that matter, form, is supposed to get with that program. It's supposed to begin to see itself as life, not as separate from the divine. Form and formlessness will become one at that point when we finally get it. That duality is just completely, utterly false. So, if that's really true, if duality is really utterly false, then what do we make of this struggle, enormous battle between the ego and the higher self? Well, we make absolutely nothing of it because it isn't a real battle. Just like we can have an identity that isn't real, we can believe that there's a battle between the ego and the higher self that also isn't real. What's real is life. Eternal, forever, never stop, life. Filled with what? Not good. Not bad, but life, filled with life. That's it. That's all there is, just life. Life in its raw, beautiful, enormous, infinite essence. That's, that's what's really real. So when we get into a moment, people say, be present with a the moment. They're not saying, be present with your ego or be present with your higher self. They're saying, be present with the moment. What occurs to us isn't good or evil. It isn't higher self or lower self. It's life. What occurs to us in a state of stillness when we say, be still and know that I am God, what occurs to us in that stillness isn't good or evil. It's life. What occurs to us then is this buzzing, powerful, enormous presence of life itself that's coursing through our vein and makes up the components of ourselves. That is what life is really all about. It's all about life. It's not about good or evil. So then people say, well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't say there's no evil in the world. Look around. Hello? I mean, you can't say there's no evil in the world. Well, yeah and no. <laughs> it, while it's true that people can identify with good or evil and act those things out as if they're true and really do some pretty heinous things as a result of those act, that acting out, doesn't make it so. doesn't mean that on the other side of all that drama isn't a real life. Isn't something else happening entirely that the soul is using to help us wake up to the true essence of our being, which is life. Okay. So when we talk in terms of good and evil, we can split ourselves off between higher self and ego. And as long as we keep doing that, we're going to stay stuck in the duality trance state, which is going to keep us from experiencing that other tree of that is the tree of life. And, uh, You know, what I'm saying here today, you know, certainly intellectually it can be argued with. You can certainly say, wait a minute, what about Hitler? Yeah, yes, yeah, Hitler killed six million people, people he just didn't like, but – you know, people say, well, he must have been evil. Well, that's a name for it. That is a name for it. And I guess that makes us sort of be able to wash our hands. Oh, he was just evil. That's all we need to think about that. I guess there's some evil people in the world. And what are we going to do about that? No, we can't do anything about that. They're just evil. They're like satanic and we, what, we're, uh, that's bigger than us. So hey, we don't have to do anything about that. Maybe we could possibly put them in jail, but really that's about all because they're evil. That's, that's one of the ways we have of just sort of dismissing the whole thing, but really, What went on with Hitler was bigger than Hitler, way bigger than Hitler. What went on with Hitler was in that historic time frame he lived in, and we've talked about this before, but I'll bring it up again. In that historical time he lived in, Hitler was one man of many of his country who were very resentful because of the Treaty of Versailles, in which they felt that they'd gotten a raw deal. They were having to pay back money that they didn't have to pay back because they'd lost so much in the war, and they blamed the Jewish people, saying that the Jewish people had stayed back in the towns and had somehow informed the, uh, uh, people on, uh, uh, didn't inform the people on the front line of what they should have and informed the enemy of things they shouldn't have. And so somehow the Jews were to blame for that. And a lot of the Jewish people, I mean, the German people were really angry about that and felt a great deal of shame because they were now... So sort of had the world's shame dumped on them as you're the bad guys because you've lost this war and you've lost considerable land, which they consider to be their fatherland, and held sacred. And so there was a lot of uh, stuff about that going on, a lot of shame that's just being carried as a collective. And what happened was Hitler came along. Also, there was a lot of fighting in the streets, a lot of political fracturing and all kinds of things like that going on and he came along and said okay i got the answer here let's just let's just see where the real problem is the real problem is we are a mighty race we're really good people and we're not bad people so get that off your mind the thing is, the problem is the jews we need to do something about them and guess what people went along with him it was not just hitler hitler was not living in a vacuum he was able to get millions of other people to go along with him And so there wasn't one man's evil. There's a whole lot more than that. And and what we need to know about that means a whole lot in terms of how we're going to receive this whole idea of good and evil. So we're going to talk some more about that right after the break. Stay tuned for more. This show is going to be really different in terms of what you think about ego.
0: This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear.
2: All right, we're at the half hour of the show and I want to just sort of remind everybody what we're talking about today in case you've just tuned in. What, uh, what we typically hear about ego is that it is sort of the enemy and it is the problem in our lives. And if we could just get rid of the ego or if we could just you know, overcome it with a, a higher self, then we would be okay. And what I'm saying today disputes that. I know that I'm flying in the face of what you've heard and what you've been taught in many instances, but I want you to think some, about something a little bit different. I want you to consider the possibility that that idea just continues to split us off from ourselves. So we have, we are, we're at war with ourselves instead of being at one with ourselves. Um, so we were talking just before the break, and if you have just tuned in, I would encourage you to go back and listen later when it gets on the archives. Um, we were talking just before the break about Hitler because that's generally the argument you get, you know, okay, if there's no good and evil in the world, then what do you do with people like Hitler? And the argument you get is, well, you know, Hitler is bad, he's evil, so that just proves that there's evil in the world, so shut up. Uh, and and uh, what we were saying just before the break that was that, in fact, actually the people joined Hitler because there was a lot of shame that the whole collective was carrying after World War One, and And uh, there was a lot of blame going on with for the Jews and and uh, historical markers for that as well. And and uh, so what Hitler did was he came around and he said, look, I got your problem solved here. Look, you guys are good people. Forget about your shame. You don't need that shame. You know, pass that on to me, and and uh, I'll handle your shame for you. And what will happen here is that the Jewish people will have to carry your shame. And that's exactly what happened. And he didn't say those words exactly, but he did invite them to let go of their shame, and he did say that the Jews were the problem. He said it in his books and he said it in his writing and he said it in his speeches. So uh, anybody who studied Hitler knows that he already had his own bent. He had his, already had his own psychological issues that were pretty out there. Add to that the fact that he was able to convince the people of Germany to trust him entrust him with the power to take that shadow of shame off of them. And so, okay, what does one man do when he begins to carry the shadow of a whole nation? Well, he has to project that shadow onto another nation, and that's what he did. He projected it onto the Jews and then ultimately onto black people and gays and lesbians and Catholic priests and all kinds of other people that he just didn't – he thought would remind them of their shame. So that's what happened. And was it horrible? Yes. Was it also something that has some kind of major potential to bring us to consciousness? Yes. Um, so not all is lost in there And first. And second, it doesn't prove evil. It proves shadow dancing. It proves that people have the capacity to pass their shadow on to another person. And that sh- that person then has the capacity to pass it on to a- another person or to another group of people. And where it's a collective, it gets pretty dangerous. You get a whole bunch of people all wanting one person to carry that stuff for them. That's pretty, that's pretty dangerous. And when we think about that in terms of leadership, we could have that same thing happen here in America if we chose to. Uh, we could have people say, oh, I got you, I got you covered, I'll take care of you, you know, just let me take care of things, and we could just say, okay, here, and we do, we do, we put these people in office, and then we forget about them until they do something we don't like, or we kind of think they do something we don't like, and then we fuss about it, and laugh about it, and make jokes about it, and then we go on our merry ways, we're not really as involved, although recently there's been much more of the uh, sort of grassroots involvement, which I'm very happy to see, but... But So I'm not going to wax political here. What I'm trying to say is that we can pass things around. We can make other people responsible for our own well-being, and when that happens, we're putting ourselves at risk. So that's what happened, and that's the lesson we can get from Hitler. Not, uh, well, yeah, there's evil in the world. There's nothing much we can do about it except kill the evil guy. It's, yeah, yeah, that's not really helping us change anything. But realizing that we have shadows that we can pass on to other people and that they can pass it on to a third party, yeah, that's important information, and that could help us grow exponentially. So everything that comes here comes to give a gift, and it gives it in a backhanded way or it gives it in a forward way, but either way, we we can, if we choose, get the gift. So while Hitler did some horrible things, he also – potentially gave us a gift if we're willing to receive it if we're willing to look for it first and then receive it but when we just dismiss it out of hand by going oh he was just evil then we don't get the message and I'm afraid that's what we do and that is because we're still split off between good and evil I'm good when I do these things and I'm bad when I do these things and that very thinking is what makes us split off into a higher self and a lower self or an ego because the ego is the uh, equivalent of the lower self. And ego thinks all negative thoughts and has only negative feelings. And the the higher self has only positive thoughts and positive feelings. And that's how it's split off. And there, there's a great divide between the two. And how do we bridge that gap? Well, it's an interesting passage in the Bible, Whatever, whether you believe the Bible is valid or not. It's an interesting passage worth thinking about. And it says, I, uh, I bring the rain and I bring the... I bring the good stuff and I bring the bad stuff basically is what it's saying. I, Yahweh, do all these things. So Yahweh is claiming that he's done the good and the evil. Uh, and, and in that passage, what it said, what, what it's trying to say is, look, you guys call it good and evil. So, you know, you just need to know that I'm using your terminology here, but, but, you know, I'm the one doing it. I'm in charge. You know, it's real interesting that people say, of the old traditions, say that Satan is the god or the father of this world. That's one of the words I used in the beginning of the show, the phrases I used to describe Satan, was he's the father of this world. Wow, how powerful is that? And in that same sense, we give the, our egos tremendous power and just feel like we just cannot overcome it to get to this perfect other side of us, which is our higher self. And now, it, you know, people used to say, well, you can always say the devil did it, and that makes it a little better because the devil's outside of you. Well, now what we're doing is we're making it inside of us. So we, now we've got this grand battle between us and us. It's not the devil outside of us and the good guy inside of us. It's the devil inside of us and the good guy inside of us, and there's a war going on in there. How do you think that's helping us find peace? I don't think it is. Peace can't be found there. And what I said a little while ago was when we think about the other thought, there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is the thought of duality, and the other thought is the thought of life. When we get into stillness, when we, we, when, when we meditate and are able to get into that place of stillness, there's no duality there. There's nobody there but oneness. And oneness is all about life. It's just life energy pulsing through us. And sometimes we can actually feel it. For me, sometimes it's like I can hear the hum of the universe in my own veins, in my own cells. It's really profound. It's an amazing experience. I wish every one of us to have it. But when I go in that experience look, and I literally have looked for good and evil, I can't find it there because it doesn't exist there. And so... When we're instructed to be still and know that I am God, what that passage means is be still to know who you are. You are God. And that's what Jesus said. He said, didn't your scriptures tell you that you're God's? Yeah, that's in there. And so we are. We are God. We are divine. We are oneness. There is no divide between us and the divine. So, now, what does that mean? We say, oh, gosh, what are you trying to say? you got some kind of Messiah complex. What's going on here? No, that doesn't mean that because when we think of the divine, we're so uh, archetypally set up to think of the divine as uh, as good that we just can't even imagine that the divine just is life. It's not good. It's not bad. It just is. It is isness. It is ipsaity. It is... It is beingness itself. It is not about good or evil. But we're so used to thinking in terms of good and evil. As a matter of fact, we've got every part of our lives divided up into that. Even the food we eat is either good or bad. You know? So everything in our lives is divided up into one of these two ridiculous categories that we can't even really define. What is good? Well, what's good to one culture is bad to another. What's good for me might be bad for you. What is bad? Well, what's bad for me might be good for you and vice versa. We, we can't define these terms. And yet we've tried to divide all of life up into those two terms. And we think we know what they mean. But when you really try to get somebody to tell you, okay, give me a real final answer. What is good? What is bad? You can't do it. You can only define it in terms of behaviors. And these are behaviors that are culturally driven familiarly driven where a family says this is what we do in our family and everybody does it and the next door neighbors are going what the heck are they doing because that's kind of crazy you know that's bad uh so we we don't know we don't know what's good or bad and and yet we've divided all of life up into that but we do know we can come to know when we are still when we're in that be still and know we can know And it's interesting the word know there is the same word that's used for knowledge in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because what's happening is we're coming to know that there is no good and evil. The truest knowledge of good and evil is that there is no good and evil. And that's what we come to know when we be still and know that I am God. We come to know the truth that there is no division between God and and humanity. And so with regard to the Messiah complex, let's go back to that. People say, well... God is good, and therefore, if you're saying that you're divine, you must be trying to tell us that you're perfect. No, that's not what I'm trying to tell you. I'm not trying to tell you that I'm anything. I'm trying to tell you that we are all divine. All of us, every one of us. Not one of us has missed it, even Hitler. Hitler identified with bad from some early age, and he acted it out in some horrendous ways by taking on the shadow of a mass. But... Uh, that doesn't mean that he didn't have a soul, although many people would say he didn't. Um, it doesn't mean that anyone, even a serial killer today, lacks a soul. It means that that serial killer is so identified with evil that he has to live it out. And it, it is his only identity, so he has to keep living it out in worse and worse ways to prove that he exists. So I've written about some of that in some of my books, and you can read some of that, But so I won't go into a lot of detail about that. But... But what I want to say here is that when we square off against the ego and we say, I've got to get rid of that ego, I've got to be my higher self, what we're saying is I've got to repress some of my negative feelings and my negative thoughts. And immediately when we start repressing, here's the cycle that happens. You push it down into the psyche. The psyche gets filled up eventually with that material and starts uh, it starts leaking out in some ways that are probably secret to you and exposed very easily to others. And you may not see the ways that you're acting out, but other people do. So it begins to leak out in behaviors and words and little things you do and little ways that you walk and accidents you have and things like that so that your, your repressed material is finding its way back out. And then we go, oh my gosh, there it is. I've got to push that back down in there again. And then it has to come back out again. And then we go, oh my gosh, there it is. And I've got to push that back in there. And then it has to come back out. I can keep doing this the rest of the show. The, the idea is that we don't change anything that way. We just keep pushing it in and letting it out and pushing it. In. So if you want real dynamic transformation, you have to do something different. Than just square off between the ego and the higher self. And we're going to talk more about how to do that right after the break. Stay tuned
0: for more. The Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network.
1: Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network.
0: Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel.
2: final segment of our show today and I want to wrap this up by really saying uh, sort of reminding going back over again what we've said and then closing up with how we can begin to really be with our divine essence Um, what we said today is that our, our master teachers are out there telling us that there's an ego and there's a higher self and that we need to constantly choose higher self over ego and what's happening in that process as I see it and you get to choose what you believe but as I see it, what's happening in that process is we're being taught to repress material. And whatever's repressed in there is going to come out later. And then what's going to happen as a result of that is that it's going to have to be repressed again. And then it's going to have to come out later. And then it's going to have to be repressed again. And nothing changes. So real transformation is not really changing who you are or improving who you are. But being with who you actually are, not who, uh, how the world has defined you. So, okay, what that means is this. If I'm present with myself, then what I'm doing is I'm being still in that. I'm not trying to change it. I'm just being with it. Okay, just like you would be with a little child who's upset and afraid and angry. Um, You know, I guess sometimes we we take our angry children and we say, you go to your room. Okay, well, that's, you know, yeah, that's one way of handling it. Um, And uh, there are certainly times when you would need to send a child to his room. But when they're angry, might not be that time. Maybe they need to be heard when they're angry. Maybe we need to know what's really going on there. Um, because many times children are acting out angry when they're really, really frustrated about something larger in their lives and they don't know how to explain it. And that's exactly how our feelings are. They They come up and they are the only explanation. They are the only information we have about what else is going on in our lives. And so if we say, just go away, we're not ever going to get that information. And so when we, if we can sit with our feelings and just listen to them, don't say they're wrong or right. Don't say they're good or bad. Don't say that they should go away or stay. Just be with them. And what happens in that process, as we discovered last week, is it sort, it just sort of passes through us and leaves behind its message. It's like a wave. It passes through. Raphael, uh, was here last week and he was talking about how that's a wave and we can sort of ride it like a surfer. And, uh, I, and, and another way of looking at that is that it passes through us and leaves behind the information. So we get sad about something and we, and the sadness comes and we sit with it and it passes away. The feeling passes away. But behind it, we feel this poignant connection to whatever it was we were sad about. And then we can say, okay, well, I'd like to do this or that or the other about that connection. Or we're angry about something and the anger comes in and we ride it for a little bit and it passes through to the other side and leaves behind a poignant message that says, there's a problem here. You need to solve it. Okay. That's how being with our feelings actually is. And it is also being with our thoughts to say, well, you know, there's my thought says, uh, this or that or the other is happening, and I'm going to be with that thought. But then I might have to, as the thought sort of passes through me, I might have to go, well, you know what? That thought uh is telling me uh how I was raised to believe, not really what I really believe. Okay, so then we can go, oh, okay, well, there's the real me as compared to the identity that has said I am what I got taught to be instead of I am who I am. Um, so. In those ways, those are just some very brief examples of how we can begin to be with ourselves instead of trying to change ourselves. But the interesting paradox is that the more we are with ourselves, the more we evolve into ourselves, the more we evolve into our divine selves. And the more we fight against the ego and try to become, strive after becoming the the higher self, the more we stay the same. So this fight, this battle that we're in, you know, and, and, and you can get on Facebook or, or um, um, Twitter or anything like that, like that and read what the master teachers are telling us. And really, a lot of them are telling us that we need to keep striving after that higher self. And they're not saying those words, but that's the message. Uh, and, I, and again i 'm not saying that the master teachers are wrong and i 'm right i 'm only saying, giving you another uh, viewpoint that you might consider and and ask yourself if maybe this is another place where we need to evolve into something higher because we started off in the old traditional mindset of there was good and evil, and it was God, God was good, and man was evil, and Satan was our you know the father of us, Satan was the ruler of this world. Uh, and uh, in that way, we were just completely separated from this external divine being. Well, now we've begun to see that the divine is in us. Okay, that's really good. And what we are afraid of is that also in us is this e- really evil thing. <laughs> and so we haven't let go of that yet. And maybe the next stage of our evolution is to recognize that only the divine is in us because there is only the divine. That's all there ever is and all there ever was. And as we come full circle to that what we do is begin to be present with that, that life, that life force that is divine, the divine itself. And we can be still and know that we are that life, that life essence. We are that life eternally and forever. Uh, and, and we've always been that life and we're never going to not be that life. And so when we think in terms of Good and evil, what we do is separate ourselves away from that life, at least in our own minds. And we live out a whole other life that's not a part of that. And then we say, well, I need to get rid of that part of me that would live separate from that. I need to be a part of the higher self, which is divine. No, no, you just need to be with whatever's in you. And as you are, you begin to be able to let that pass through and leave behind its message. Because if everything is divine, then everything has a divine message. And as we do that, we evolve, we change, we grow, we become more aware of who we actually are as divine beings. Um, I really encourage meditation. And the reason I encourage meditation is that it's a thoughtless uh, effort, yeah, a thoughtless, effortless effort. Uh, because, uh, and I'm not saying you should try to make your thoughts go away either, but I am saying that when we do know how to go into the stillness, the stillness is uh, I, I, we become one with it, and it it absorbs us, and it informs us, and we get information downloaded to us, and that that information is so an information is not even the right word for it because it's more like life. It's more like life. It's more like uh, the kind of information that life itself is, that the essence of life is. But the information that we get. Informs us of who we are. It informs us of what matter actually is, as quantum physics is also beginning to prove now for us. Um, and as we, as we are just being with whatever is, we are somehow surrendered to that. Instead of trying to change it and make it better than what it is, we trust that what it is is what it's supposed to be, because that's the what it is. So if you find yourself in a state of anger, you don't say, well, I you know, I need to change that state. You say, let me be with that state. Let me surrender to it and hear from it. And in that process, we accept it. And as we accept it, it evolves. It passes on and it and it leaves behind its message. So uh, this process of, of becoming who we actually are isn't really becoming. It is being. It feels like we're becoming because we are changing in the process. But actually, we're just being with what is. And uh, that whole process is very different than squaring off against an ego, which you absolutely need, and trying to be in this higher self, which doesn't exist, and, and trying to uh, uh, absorb ourselves into this other place. And the other thing that's very interesting about that split off between the ego and the higher self is we've also split ourselves off between what's real and what's not real. We've said the world is an illusion and, and and the divine, the higher self, is the only thing that's real. Well, the divine is the only thing the real, that's real, but the world is the divine. So the world is not unreal. Uh, it's into a state of delusion as well. We could do another whole show on that. and I won't do that now. Suffice it to say that the ego is not the enemy. And being with whatever comes up is our, our method of sort of evolving so I hope this show has been helpful to you today. And next week we're going to be talking to vehicle Costantino on what it's like to live without a mask and what it means to have and to be an integral being. You do not want to miss this show. His book, uh, "Living Without a Mask" is or "Without a Mask" is a very, very good book. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.